Radio One, its sponsors or advertisers. Réveille-toi, il est midi. Qui dort encore? Réveille-toi. N'écoute pas Babylone. Il t'a fourni les armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas Afrique. Africa nanga oyamba toi cheveux crépus. Ba toi mayele bo simba ni babige. Oya bilanga bo simba ni ba Congo. Simba ni maboko mouna le kate o Afrika. Malobate mon salande. Africa, Mobali Yamingao, Africa, Hatona Mosolo, Africa. Tu gâtes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, quand Negro a souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Negro a combattu pour arriver en black en black, devenu le stade de la guerre. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Congo Live on this beautiful Saturday as we come to you from Baltimore. I'm your host, Patricia Lokwa, and we also have Kambali, who's here in the studio with us. <laughs> and we have Kambali Musavuli, and um, we wanted to kind of give you guys a briefing of what our show is going to be like today. Um, the topic of our show today is Black Lives Matter from Congo to Baltimore, from Baltimore to Congo, and we're going to have a special guest who comes in today, uh, who his name is Jim Hope, who has great experience in the Congo, and he's going to share with us a little bit about his experience in the Congo and how he met Franco, and uh, prior to getting into all of this and discussing how Jim Hope had an experience in the Congo and how he met Franco, and even he mentioned to me he met um, Mila Bell, we want to discuss a little bit of the news of what's going on in Africa and in specific in the Congo. Yes, thank you, Patricia, uh, for leading us today on the show. Uh, joining you all from Chicago. And uh, Africa is always in our hearts and minds, and we want to kind of bring you some news from the continent. Starting with the Congo, we have uh, young people who have been uh, rising up, unfortunately have been uh, attacked um, on March 15th. There was a press conference in Congo where young people were arrested uh, for using the constitutional right uh, to demand change in Congo. Uh, some of the youths have been released. Uh, one of them is still in prison, uh, Yves Makwambala. He's been charged with uh, high treason and uh, attempted coup d'etat, uh, which is uh, quite interesting uh, to see. Uh, he, the crime that he committed is that he... Uh, created a website uh, for the youth movement called Filimbi inside of the Congo. Uh, it's unfortunate that now he's being charged. Uh, he's in prison uh, at the moment in the Makala prison in Kinshasa. On the side of news, um, which is uh, quite a contrast, uh, we have the Congolese government, which has just now given amnesty to 375 ex-rebels of the defeated M23 rebel group. Uh, there in 2012, uh, this militia group caused a lot of havoc, uh, killed uh, scores of Congolese, displaced population, and thanks to some of the 
a valiant Congolese soldiers, one who has now passed away, Mamadou Ndala, um, and his battalion, the, way, uh, the M23 rebel group was able to be defeated. Um, and many of the M23 rebels crossed borders uh, and they moved to Uganda and uh, Rwanda, two nations which borders the Congo. And as of today, uh, the Congolese government has given uh, 375 of its members amnesty. So on one hand, you see uh, young Congolese who build websites who are sent to prison. And on the other hand, those who have uh, weapons, uh, they are being let back in the country without any charges. On another uh, positive note, probably, I should say, um, on another note, we have uh, last week uh, UN contractors, three of them were kidnapped. Uh, they have been released. Uh, they were working on removing landmines around uh, the eastern part of the Congo. Um, they are safe. Uh, it was two Congolese and a foreigner. Uh, they have not disclosed the nationality as of yet, but they are safe and sound. And we are happy uh, they have been released. Um, I will move to Central African Republic with the news of uh, French soldiers who, who have been uh, exposed from uh, raping young boys uh, and girls in Central African Republic. Uh, they were part of the UN contingent uh, in uh, Central African Republic, and uh, we hope that we're uh, exposing what the UN forces and foreign forces in Central Africa are doing to the population. You raise awareness around the culture of uh, sexual violence that exists uh, whenever you have militarism. And the last story, uh, which is a lighter note, our Congolese brother, Dikembe Mutombo, has just visited uh, Cuba. He went with a delegation uh, with uh, Steve Nash. He was also a former NBA player. Dikembe Mutombo is a former uh, uh, NBA player who is now being nominated for the Hall of NBA Hall of Fame. Uh, they went to Cuba as a part of uh, the tour of getting uh, more Cubans engaged in uh, the sports, recruiting new uh, NBA players. And uh, it's good to see that a brother like um, Tombo has, has gone to Cuba. I was just in Cuba in February, and the Cuban people are excited to see how much the world will come at their support as they have helped so many liberation movements across the continent. Thank you so much for giving us the news of what's happening on the African continent and what's happening directly in the Congo. Uh, before we start our show, let's start our show with a nice, beautiful song by Franco called Kimpa Kisangamene. And uh, our listeners, just to give you a little bit of feedback on Franco, he died actually in 1969. And I'm looking forward to talking to um, Jim Hope to give us, I'm sorry, 1989. I'm looking forward to talking to Jim Hope to give us a little bit of feedback of his experience of how he met him on an airplane on his way from Uganda going to um, Kisangani. Thank you. And this is Franco. 
just listening to Franco Machiadi from Congo um, singing about the the situation happening in the Congo of how evildoers are responsible for youngsters' deaths and the misfortune of their families and their communities. Um, for those who don't know what Kindoki or Banduki means, uh, it basically means evildoers. Um, he basically invites us to in- open up our eyes and see what the realities of what's happening within our nation and happening to our people. And today for the subject, we're going to kind of go back to what we mentioned earlier today, which will be Black Lives Matter from Congo to Baltimore. Our guest today is Jim Hope. And Jim Hope is in the studio with us today. Hello, hello, Jim Hope. How are you doing? Sangonini, how are you? Sangonini, Sangonini. And uh, let's give you guys a little bit of a bio uh, regarding Jim Hope and his experience in the Congo and how he traveled actually uh, all throughout Africa. I had an opportunity of talking to him. He lived in Beirut. Uh, He was in Uganda for a while. And he eventually ended up in the Congo, in Kisangani. And he met Franco on the airplane and I thought that was actually amazing and um, Franco was able to help him in his transition initially coming into the Congo on the airplane as he was nervous uh, coming into a country where uh, he was really unfamiliar of what was what he was getting himself into and maybe we can get a bio So James Hope he's the international advisor of the African Scientific Institute he first set foot on the African continent in 1951 when his ship stopped in Alexandria, Egypt, on his way to Beirut, where he took up his residence at the school. Over the years, Mr. Hope assisted in the establishment of the National School of Law and Administration in what was then the newly independent Republic of Congo, which is now DRC. 
While there, he also provided material and logistical support for the Pan-Africanist Congress of South Africa, which was the only South African liberation movement operating outside of South Africa at the time. And, of course, he supported the, the National Front for the Liberation of Angola, which at the time was recognized by the Organization of African Un Union, uh, Unity as the true and legitimate representative of the Angolan Liberation Front. Uh, he has worked with uh, the African American Institute, and he also has worked with the Bicontinental Resources uh, to handle the procurement and shipping of equipment and supplies for development projects in Africa. He has a long, uh, long experience in the Congo. He lived in the Congo during the time where uh, many Americans and uh, specifically African Americans were in the Congo supporting the liberation movement on the African continent and the Congo. And thank you for giving us a bio on Mr. Jim Hope. And uh, thank you for joining us today in our studio here in Baltimore on Congo Live. And um, I wanted to ask you, I know we had an opportunity to briefly talk about your first experience coming into the Congo. Um, maybe you can share with our listeners, how was it for you? I thought that was just an amazing uh, story because not everybody gets an opportunity like you did. And you can maybe share with us. My goodness, I hardly recognize this uh, description of myself from Kambali. I, I said, who is that? <laughs> but um, anyway, um, as I mentioned, I uh, had the chance to go to the Congo because I guess my mother and father were traveling in Africa at one point, and they made contact with people in the Congo, and they said they were looking for people to come and help them out in that new country there. It's, so I wrote letters, uh, and so when I finished uh, my studies at the American University of Beirut, up in Beirut, I was offered a, a job uh, in the Congo uh, with uh, the National School of Law Administration uh, through Ted Harris, who was the secretary general of the school at the time, and also, at the time, the head of the school was Etienne Chisakedi, the major opposition leader, and even currently the opposition leader to the regime in the Congo now, head of the UDPS. So I met Chizikedi when he was young, 26 years old. He was so young and vibrant. I, I was so impressed. I went back and made a recording and sent it to my folks in Beirut, said, I'm working for this young guy who's running everything in the Congo. That was Chizikedi. So, um, you know, while I was there, I, I helped set up that school, did a lot of procurement and everything for the new school. And then... One night I was working late and I was walking home along the Trontrain Boulevard and a guy nearly ran me down and called me Da Silva, Da Silva, Da Silva and he, mistaken, he, he mistook me for somebody from Angola and I knew very little, if anything, about Angola at the time. And from that meeting, I found myself working with Holden Roberto, who was head of the FNLA, and Jonas Savimbi, and they were both working together before they split. The president of Angola, Dos Santos, wasn't even on the screen at the time. He was a student in, in, uh, in Ukraine or Russia. So I found myself doing a lot of uh, working for them. And then uh, I worked, you know, I was immersed in the life of Kinshasa. And, and you were talking about Franco. Franco was on the plane with me when I first flew into the Congo. And he actually filled out my, my landing pass. You know, because I didn't know what was going on, and he held off the gendarmes who were trying to rush me out, and uh, I got my landing pass. I went in and made my contact, and 
the rest, uh, I survived. <laughs> I had a good time. <laughs> well, I'm glad that he took care, uh, good care of you on that uh, airplane. I know he made that experience a lot easier for you, I hope at least, uh, coming into the Congo to meet the first Congolese on an airplane who's actually helping you versus you sitting there. You're going to go help the country, and there you have a Congolese helping you on the plane. So that's a great uh, way to come into the Congo. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and uh, to get a little bit more into our subject for today, today we want to discuss what's going on in Baltimore. Uh, we have uh, a lot of people that have been protesting against uh, what's been going on regarding the police brutality. Uh, we have this happening all across the USA, but more recently in the news, we've been hearing about it um, in Baltimore, what happened with Freddie Gray. And um, what I wanted to do is touch a little bit of base on what exactly is happening and how this whole youth movement is going on. And Roll over to, I'm sure everybody watched what was going on with uh, the woman who was chastising her son on the streets. We'll talk a little bit about the psycholo psycho psychological effects that was going on between the two um, family units. And um, maybe we can get a little bit of feedback um, coming from you. Well, I'm looking at this whole situation and uh, the situation in, in Baltimore. There's a lot of frustration. From what I can gather, they had this big push to reduce crime at any cost, which meant that anybody was locked up for any reason to, to prevent anything from happening that would reflect poorly uh, in, in the crime statistics of Baltimore. And when they did that, the people received black marks on their records and they couldn't get jobs. And this was leading to a lot of frustration. And I think about the frustration you said here in the United States, this is globally. I think about the Middle East, you know, the, the frustration among the Palestinians forever and ever. Absolutely, that, absolutely. That have absolutely been marginalized and, and made to almost act as if people treat them as if they don't even exist. And just the same thing apparently happened here in Baltimore. You had large members of the population who were treated as if they were of no consequence. They didn't exist. Uh, so we work around them. They don't. We don't pay attention to. So these guys finally got frustrated and said, "Enough is a goddamn enough." <laughs> I guess that's what happened, huh? And um, so, and it's it's unfortunate. You have to resort to such violent tactics to get thick-headed people to pay attention to you. You know, that's the only way you can get attention. And um. And uh, I think it's important to also um, try to understand what is why is the why are the youth so frustrated? What is happening on these streets that they feel that their voices are not being heard? What is happening within the local and the state community when you're looking at the realities of what these children are seeing every single day? Why are they so upset? I mean, for me, being a single mother. I I understand what was happening with that woman. You know, here you are, you're looking at your son, you see Freddie Gray has just been killed. You have people protesting, you have, um, you know, the youth throwing rocks at the police, and you don't know at any point anything can happen. And as a mother, I understand her pain. But at the end of the day, when you look at what was happening, at least uh, when I look at it, is this child was fighting for his future. You know, the son is, look. the mother's looking at it as, I just want my, my son to be okay. I don't want him to die, but there's going to come a time where there's going to be a transition where now this son has to go out in the work field. Now this son has to start taking care of himself, but there's no work opportunities, as you have mentioned earlier. So what does he do in a community where they're not helping him? You, you flatter me when you ask me to respond about what the youth are thinking in Baltimore. I'm far from youth, as you I can see. I think just giving us but, your but, experience, you but, know, you being an elderly and but, giving us your wisdom. What, what, what do you think? But it's frustrating. What are the other ways you, you look into protesting? the future? and you don't see anything. I mean, 
or you see the same that you that you see every day, which is not much of anything. And the youth, you know? they want change. They want they want a, a piece of the action, just like everybody else. They they want to have a life. They want to see a future for themselves. They want to be able to see out of the other end of the tunnel. And if they can't see light at the other end of the tunnel, what is there to do? Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's so, a good point. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just to, to bring it back into full circle, and uh, that's been my fascination around uh, your time in the Congo, um, because when I look at the people protesting today, uh, they look like you back in the 60s. Um, but at the time uh, you were engaged, uh, you had an international scope of the struggle. You left this country, uh, you had uh, the time to be in uh, Egypt, um, you went to you know, Lebanon, yeah. you ended up in Congo. Uh, what is different about the youth of your generation in the 60s and the youth of today as the struggle for their rights? In the 60s, civil rights, you was connected to the international struggle of the working class around the world. Today... Is the working class in the United States seeing themselves in a global context that the freedom of the youth in Baltimore is tied to the freedom of the youth in Congo, Burundi, Gabon, and any other countries fighting for liberation? You, you said many things there, Kambali. I'm just trying to figure out where I, what I can say. Um, uh, the, the, the youth... I mean, you said so many things there. I mean, help me out here. I mean, uh, I think first he 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 wants to understand what was going on during your era with the. Oh the, yeah, I think I think when I was coming up, uh, we were kind of oriented to try and do things. Nowadays, the whole society seems to be so materialistically oriented. Uh, we don't deal with ideas. We deal with. Uh, Things, cars, computers, uh, people. I, I spent time at a hostel up in New York City, and everybody was walking up and down the hallways like a bunch of zombies looking at their PDAs, and it was like a bunch of little bumper cars. They bump in each other and back off and grunt and keep on going. Everybody was looking at a screen, you see. So I don't even know if we know what's going on in a sense, except what we see on these screens all around the world. But that's that's one difference. I know this is not very significant, but uh, in in terms of the whole thing you were talking about, but um, you you were overwhelming. <laughs> do you do you feel that during your era, the youth they were more conscious about what was happening within their communities? They were more involved, and they weren't, as you say, as materialistic as what you may be seeing today. Yeah, we had to be involved. We had to be involved, and. And I was raised in Washington, D.C., which was a completely segregated society. And it was like a village. We were involved. And now with integration and globalization, the, the family structure has, has, has just been shredded. And it's not the way it used to be. There's not much of a family structure. Uh, you almost have to fight for what remnants of a family structure you still have. Um, but here again, I don't know what's going on among the younger people now. They, they maybe have substituted something else. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, we, we were more involved. But now there seems to be so much regulation here in, in, in the United States. 
as you were saying in the Congo. It is not, it's not so highly regulated. Here, it's overly regulated here. And, and you, you could hardly can get a foothold to do anything because you've got to go through so many hoops to uh, accommodate all of the regulations to, to open up a trucking company or anything. Mm-hmm. You have to go through so many regulations and pay so many fees and do this and that and the other. It's not even worth it, you know. I mean, so... I, I think uh, even with you mentioning um, regulation, I think it's also important to to think about with what's going on in Baltimore in comparison to uh, what's happening in the Congo. You know, you have the the prosecutor who there there's a possibility that exists that they will be holding these police office officers accountable for what they did. They will be there will be a trial to find to dis, to determine whether or not they were guilty or whether or not they killed Freddie Gray or not. Whereas when you look in the Congo. We don't even have a prosecutor. We don't have a, any type of anything. You know that what the government says goes. It just gets swept under the rug completely. And I think the same thing might have been happening here in the United States. A lot of things were swept under the rug. Fortunately, this uh, prosecutor, she didn't let the stuff get swept under the rug. Things are different. There's much more communication now. Mm-hmm. Things are not uh, as close as were. There are no more secrets here in the West. Because and it's also important to remember, um, you know, to what degree did the, the protest influence what they did? It, let's say they did not protest. What would have happened then? Would they have done what they did with those police officers? So for me, I if feel... If there was no protest, that would have just been business as it usual. It would have been swept under the rug, <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah. when you look at what's going on, even in the Congo, you know, that's the only voice that they have when they feel that their needs are being yeah, neglected. I mean, and, and, and here again, when you look at Africa... If you're going to be in the money economy, you have to be close to the president. Mm-hmm. If you're not close to the president in most of those little countries, you're not even going to be in the money economy. And if you do make money outside of the government, the president is going to look at you and probably say, we got to watch out for him. He's being paid by the CIA to have money, you know. So, uh, And um, we're going to go into um, a song and discuss a little bit more about uh, some of your ideas and hear a little bit more from uh, Kambali how he feels and taking actually a few callers. Uh, uh, but before we do, we would like to listen to Lukwa Kanza. The name of the song is Fami, and it talks about hope and um, basically hope. <laughs> letting your family know that you love them as they are here as we think about everything that's happening around the world. Hope. Hope. <laughs> Tangu makashi zana nzoto Yebisa famitoli ngakabangu Ibosobawa Yebisa boyo yo kumisakae Kisalo lango nayo Kozela te bakuvao Simoya kutanda musolo Kozela te bakumana bokono La kisalo lango nayo Cosé la teba comana bocono, 
Pola qui salue la monaio, cause la teba awa. Si ma otana wolona lilita, yango wana lelo, yebisa bango boye. And thank you for joining us today on Congo Live. Make sure you follow us on congolive.org and follow our fan page on Congo Live. And for our callers, make sure you have, uh, we hopefully you have our number. It's 410-481-1010. Again, it's 410-481-1010. Make sure uh, you give us a call back. We actually have a caller who's um, by the name of Ernest who has patiently been waiting for the last eight minutes, which is, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he has a lot to say, and he's very enthusiastic about giving us some of his questions. Um, let's go ahead and take that call. Hello. Hi, Ernest. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Fine. And what was your question for us today on Congo Live? No, I just want to explain something to you. When, when Kirschmoke was mayor, they had a white police commissioner named Fraser. He said he wasn't going to tolerate excessive force. Of course, the black Rose in Baltimore wasn't satisfied. They wanted a black commissioner. And so they got Commissioner Daniels, who only was on the job for 85, uh, uh, 85 days. Then uh, the, uh, O'Malley went to New York and got a commissioner, Ed Norris, who brought the New York style of policing, broken windows policing, down to Baltimore City, where they would lock up anybody or anything. And he was later was a convicted felon. So sometimes black people bring things on themselves. And uh, where are you from, Ernest? And where are you calling us from? Because we didn't get a chance to hear that. I'm from Baltimore. Oh, oh thank you for calling and in I'm and thank a, you for giving us. And when you say black people bring this on themselves, uh, are you talking about this in connection to what is going on with the protest and what happened with Freddie Gray? Or are you talking about uh, an isolated situation? I'm talking about they had a police commission that was not going to tolerate excessive force. He said he was going to fire police if they did excessive force. Black people helped to get him out of office. Mm, that makes they a lot of sense. Play. But in reference to the riots, thanks for those young brothers that uh, used those uh, those means to bring about change. I mean, Al Sharpton's been marching for years. No justice, no peace, when they really want peace. But when those young brothers came out and they showed that they didn't fear the police and things like that, all of a sudden... Uh, they decided that they were going to make a change. And Ms. Mosley did a wonderful job, but it's still a long way because white people, and if you look at the news, 
I don't care if they cut a black person's neck off with a machete. They wouldn't say that they were guilty. Mm. Well, thank you for you know? calling us and uh, giving us that feedback. We have another caller who uh, has also been waiting, and her name is um, Haiki. Haiki, are you online? No, no, this is uh, Haiki. Haiki, I'm sorry about that. Thank you for calling Haiki. And what, what questions or comments do you have to give us today? Well, yes. Um, I actually, I was I was just downtown at City Hall. Uh, I was I was one of the presenters uh, there, and you know I, I just wanted to speak on that if that's okay. No, go ahead, go ahead. This is what the show is for. We want to hear from you. Well, well, thank you. Yes, yeah, so I, I did, you know, and I would encourage others to yes, not just call in on the radio, but sometimes you have to go out and young let young people know that, that you are concerned, uh, that you do care, and they want to see your face. And so that's, you know, what I attempted to do. But my content of my conversation uh, that I gave was in our own transformation, you know, because the reality of uh, law enforcement is that, you know, we, we have a certain history in this society of law enforcement. And there's uh, Miss, uh, Michelle Alexander's book called The New Jim Crow that speaks about the uh, prison industrial uh, complex and how it's targeted towards black people. So my initial thought and what I'm focused on and my experience that I have with working both in the Sandtown area uh, you know, I had I was a co-editor of a newspaper in that area. Then I worked in youth youth opportunities, as well as I had a store on Pennsylvania Avenue that was you know like looted uh, recently, uh, an old store that I had some time. So I realized that we have to move the conversation to youth transformation, uh, youth accountability, and you know I know that uh, others in law enforcement feel that they have the expertise to do that. But my thoughts is for our youth to transform and grow and empower themselves through education and knowledge and training. So that's what I have to say. Um, I actually have a question for you. Um, sure. How does the youth empower themselves through education when you're looking at the education system within Baltimore where it's failed its citizens? How, how do they do that when they're not given many options? Well, certainly, um, you know, we, we're going to have to be independent thinkers. I, I I'm certainly, I was a product of Baltimore City Public Schools. I didn't make all the right decisions. You know, I was a victim, I would, I would say. Though I made a, a choice at a particular time, had some life transformation, uh, transforming incidences that, that caused me to say, what is it that I'm doing? And I had to, had to reach deep. And, you know, fortunately I had uh, family members that were in place and, uh, you know, some, a few positive role models, though, we have to realize, and I became conscious and aware of re- reading 100 books a year for like 11 years, independently, not someone giving me a book to say this is what I need to read. I took it upon myself to say that I needed to transform, that I can be better, and I can do better. And so I'd say, you know, on one level, yes, we, we have to look at the school system institutionally, but I'm like, I'm not waiting on anyone that's miseducated, that's not going to teach our people where they need to be right now in the 21st century anyway, in terms of uh, ownership and equity in this society, about to go out and get a job. So, you know, that's where I'm at. And, of course, we need, uh, you know, the the STEM, the trainings and, you know, particular career fields and, and basic 
uh, skill sets and uh, basic uh, communication skills and literacy. So that's kind of where I'm at. If, you know, bottom line, if the school's not doing it, we need, you know, these churches to step up as well. And, and, I, and no, I think that's yeah. uh, important because uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I, I really feel that it's about mending generational gaps and the generational patterns that have been happening, what we see in the 1960s, where yes. you had, it wasn't just the youth, you had the parents who were involved. It was on every level of the family structure where everybody was involved mm. because everybody wanted the same kind of change because it was affecting everybody within the community. And I think yeah. uh, when I listen to you, I think it's important that we get parents involved, even when what's happening in the schools, when you have those teachers telling you, this is what mm. your son is doing at school. It's not the school's job to raise your son. It's your job to raise your son and send your children to the school so that they get the information that they need so they can make the change that they need in this world. And I think it's also important uh, that we remember those things. And uh, I wanted to say thank you for calling us. And uh, we have another call who has just... and uh, Thank you very much. No, no, not a problem. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, yes, Hello. Hello. We may have uh, dropped that call. Uh, to keep moving forward, we have um, another song we want to listen to from uh, Franco. The name of the song is uh, Mamu. And uh, we're going to play this song and we're going to give you guys a little bit of feedback of what the song talks about. And we can hear a little bit more from uh, Jim Hope to give us a little bit of his feedback as well. <laughs> Mamou, yo moi si Alibala, 
And you are listening to Mamou by Franco. Uh, Franco is a Congolese artist who is coming from you from the heart of Africa. And uh, before we continue with our show, we want to remind our listeners to follow us on Congo Live, the fan page on Facebook. And we also have Twitter. You can hashtag Congo Live as well as look at our webpage, which is congolive.org. And for all our listeners who want to call in, our number is 410-481-1010. Again, 410 410- Four eight one one zero one zero, and um, we've had Kambali uh, who's been with us, and uh, we wanted to get. I wanted to get a little bit about um, your perspective of what was going on with uh, the protesters and its connection to uh, what's going on with uh, the youth in the Congo. Um, Kambali, maybe you can give us a little bit of feedback of what you think. Yes, um, I think uh, one of the points that I heard from uh, one of the callers. Uh, I felt that uh, we were using a personal uh, experience, a personal uh, path to mirror the collective. Uh, historically, in the United States, uh, br- black and brown people have been systematically under attack uh, for centuries. And uh, a success of uh, opera does not equal to the success of the youth. Uh, Ferguson or Baltimore, or even um, help protect them from the attacks of the bankers who provided those subprime loans uh, to the community that decimated Baltimore since 2009 uh, to today that the community has been dispossessed of the uh, land of uh, their properties. 
So what we're seeing today is really a reflection of what has been going on in Baltimore for over a decade, I may say. Um, but I also have been uh, just watching what's unfolding. I've been concerned with the description of the violence in the streets, uh, which has been explained in the context of individuals uh, who should be peaceful, that should not destroy properties, but they did not look at the state violence which has created uh, the situation where people are forced uh, to do extreme actions. Uh, for example, something that uh, I shared earlier today uh, on social media is uh, when we had the youth of Egypt uh, rebelling against a government that did not uh, protect them, that did not provide them with opportunities. Uh, no one asked anything of the Egyptian youth who were throwing rocks, who were breaking, uh, uh, burning tires, uh, breaking businesses, and so on. Everyone wanted to know why are the youth of Egypt rising up to the regime of Mubarak? Uh, so that's what people should be asking. Why are the youth of Ferguson, of Baltimore, across the United States, black youth specifically, are rising up at this present time? And this is not an isolated issue. It's happening globally. You can see it in the Congo. Uh, as youth took it to the streets in January 2015, you, you're seeing it right now in Burundi, in Gabon is happening. All across the world, young people are rising up to systems that are suppressing them. Uh, but the challenge of uh, these movements uh, that uh, at least in my analysis is that uh, we have not connected the movement globally. Now, in the 60s, you could have a young man by the name of Malcolm X who was speaking in Harlem, uh, organizing people there about the challenge of African-Americans, but he will say, if you can understand what's happening in Mississippi and Alabama, you can understand what's happening in the Congo. And that's what I'm saying now. If you can understand what's happening in Baltimore and Ferguson, Today, you can understand also what's happening in the Congo. And that's what I think uh, we can get from connecting uh, the challenge of Baltimore with also youth movement across the world and specifically youth movement inside of the Congo. Well, besides even uh, the protesting, let's say you have these young youth who are protesting in Burkina Faso and Burundi, and you have them also protesting in Congo and Baltimore. What are they asking for? What what you, you say they want change? What is the change that they want? What do they want to be recognized for? Why are they protesting? They're fed up, right? I mean, across the board, from Burkina Faso to, to Baltimore to Ferguson to Egypt to Palestine, they're fed up. They're fed up. They don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And they, they tell them to be good little boys. But if they're good little boys, then what? Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing for them. So they're just fed up, I guess. And, and that seems to be the common thread around the world. And Kambali, what is your perspective? To, to add to what uh, Mr. Hope has just shared, um, mm. as they, they're fed up, they also want to have a say in the decision-making process. That's Absolutely. my yeah. fancy quotes to um, the the anger of the youth. You know, I, I don't, speaking of living here in the United States, right, I don't want to graduate and have hundreds of thousands of loans for college loans while bankers will destroy the market are free and not even in jail, <laughs> right? So that's what moves some of the youth for Occupy Wall Street. I don't want to see my friends 
being harassed every day because of the color of the skin and how they look, or sometimes even be killed. But what do the Congolese youth want? The Congolese youth want a better Congo. They want a government that represents them. They do not want corrupt leaders. They do not want mining companies coming into the countries and taking the diamonds, the gold, uh, the oil, while decimating population, uh, displacing them from uh, the communities. They do not want to be killed for speaking up. Do you, do you understand even what I said earlier? We have a young man by the name of Eve who is in jail for building a website <laughs> that calls for civic engagement. He's in prison and he's been charged by, uh, he's charged with high treason. So the youth of the Congo, they want to be able to speak freely. They want to have a brighter future because they understand the role of the Congo, not just for the African continent, but for the world, that we are one of the most powerful countries. And, and if and we control it, we can change the world. And you know, uh, Kambale, you, you say that the people get thrown in jail for building a website. This goes back to that famous saying, that the pen is mightier than the sword. You know, nowadays, the website is the pen. And you said that the people in the Congo and the Eastern Congo that had the guns, they were, <laughs> they were given a a pass. They were released and excused. But the guys with the pen, the websites, they they were perceived by the regime in Kinshasa as being stronger and mightier, so they had to be squashed at all, by all means. All means necessary. Just out. See, the pen is mightier than the sword. And that's it. I have a question from you coming from Belgium, from one of the young Congolese sisters. Uh, she, she just sent me a question. She said, uh, you see what's happening in the Congo today. Uh, you see how young Congolese are organizing to free the country. Uh, what advice do you have for young Congolese like her uh, to change the country as you helped uh, Angolans during the liberation movement? I, I, I just think we were discussing this on the way over here. I have a lot of friends from the Congo that filter through my living room from time to time. And they come to Washington and they seem to be trying to ingratiate themselves with the powers that be here in Washington, D.C., you know. And I tell them, never mind these guys. You're trying to ingratiate yourselves with these elected leaders here. By the time they finally listen to you, they'll probably lose the election and they won't be in a position to do anything for you. But you, it would seem to me that you would want to chart your own course and do what you decide is best for the Congo and let the little elected leaders here, whoever they might be, react to what you're doing. Then you won't waste all your time trying to get get on their screen so they'll pay attention to you. Spend more of your time doing what is best for you and the Congo and let the other people in the West react to you. And maybe to be, take a, a lesson from the Chinese, the Chinese built a wall around their country and kept everybody out. And they made progress, <laughs> you know. So, And the United States is coming to that conclusion. I'm... I'm just an old guy, but in my lifetime, I remember seeing signs in China that said, in China, the British had put up signs, no dogs and Chinese allowed in this park in China. That's what I've seen just in my lifetime. And now, the Prime Minister of England flies to China, and he's eating humble pie from sunrise to sunset. He has to do it. It's a, it the change is, is just wonderful. I love it. I love it. Um, thank you so much for uh, giving us some of that uh, feedback. Um, although we look at Congo as a place of violence and conflicts and the instability since 1996, um, it's also important to remember that Congo is a place of uh, collective spirits of people who have hope 
and people who want more out of their country. And at the end of the day, they just want to live as the rest of us are living here in Absolutely. Baltimore. Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that they are humans as we are humans. And um, something that uh, I wanted to ask you before uh, we finish the show, um, Mr. Hope, is what are one of your fondest memories in the Congo when you were there? What is something that if today somebody told you, you know what, you want to go back to the Congo and you just look forward to that moment of experiencing something similar to what you did back then? You know, growing up in Washington, D.C., which was, uh, you know, apartheid central when I was born here, you know, we, we, we invented apartheid in Washington before they had it in South Africa. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, highly evolved the situation. But in the Congo, I, I just enjoyed the fact that I was in the minority and in the majority and I could do anything I wanted to do. I mean, I, not, not anything, but I didn't have to worry about what the dominant tribe was going to say, so to speak, the whites. I didn't have to worry about that. You felt at that. home. And I felt at home, and I used to have a, I had a friend of mine who was a Congolese general, and one time we were downtown, and some Belgian made a mistake of calling him a macaque, a monkey. And that was the biggest mistake that little, uh, little the petite blonde, this little small Belgian had ever made in his life because the general called his aides and said, take this man put him in a truck, take him to his house, pack his bags, and take him to the airport and put him on the first plane out of Njili. And this was, uh, this crushed this Belgian man because he was down in the Congo living better than he ever could have lived in Belgium. It was all over. He made a mistake. And I thought that was very interesting. Black power. Out of the country. Bye-bye. <laughs> and thank you for that <laughs> wonderful story. I wanted to say happy birthday to Ami Musavuli. I know it's your birthday today. I wanted to call you, but uh, I figured why not we do it live. And uh, I also wanted to remind everybody they'll follow us on congolive.org and follow our fan page on Congo Live on Facebook. And we look forward to hearing from you and getting feedback on which topics do you want us to discuss and what are your interests when it comes to the Congo and um, we want to hear from you and we want to understand where your mind is at so that we can be able to give you information that's useful and resourceful and so that we can start creating some of these uh, some of this unity and start mending some of these relationships when you're looking at the USA and in Africa and Kambale could you um, give us a little bit of feedback of what you want to um, have some of our um, listeners call us what are some things that you think may be of interest I mean, uh, oh, it's so broad. I mean, I hope as uh, we've been in those, this is our second show, people already know where the Congo is, right in the heart of Africa. A beautiful uh, land the size of Western Europe, 71 million people there, every non-mineral wealth that the world knows is found in, the, in that land. A free Congo is a free Africa, is a free world. And that's what we're fighting for. That's what we want people to know. And I want to definitely take this time to thank our producer, Mr. Rubangi Munyanya of Tabilu Productions for helping us produce the show. Sami Chinanga, our social media engineer. Shay, 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 thank you so much for engineering. You're doing an us. amazing job. Thank you, Shay. Yeah. So, um, and you guys have a great weekend, and we look forward to hearing from you next Saturday at 2 o'clock here in Baltimore on Congo Live. Namboka mopaya nania sungayo pasina pasie nakey kasilobi nakozonga atandeleo mopembo tezarinde liwateo nakey kasilobi nakozonga oyanga bako yambanga mopembo tezarinde liwateo nakozonga mokai 